Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, fellow football fan. Casemiro was one of Manchester United's marquee signings this summer transfer window. The 30-year-old Brazilian midfielder has won a boatload of trophies with Real Madrid, including a stunning five Champions Leagues. But what's the story behind Casemiro? Why did he decide to leave Real Madrid? And how will he fit into Eric ten Hag's plans at Manchester United? I spoke with several experts to bring you this story. My name is Sam Verrata and welcome to The Home of Football, a podcast powered by 433. Casemiro was born near the city of Sao Paulo on February 23rd, 1992. He was not born in a favela, although he still grew up in poverty. His father walked out on the family when Casemiro was just a few years old. His mom worked as a housemaid. When he was seven years old, he used to ask his teammates if he could sleep in their houses before games, so he could have a better night's sleep, because the neighborhood he lived in with his mother was rough. However, his life changed when he was admitted to Sao Paulo's Youth Academy as a 10-year-old. He got a room with air conditioning, TV and food, more than he had ever had up until that day. Young Casemiro soon captained the Sao Paulo youth sides he played in. He was soon nicknamed Carlao by his coaches and teammates. He made his professional debut in the first team as an 18-year-old and soon established himself as a starter. One of the first things he did after signing his contract was buying his mother a house. Just a few years earlier, this seemed like an inconceivable dream. Casemiro made his senior debut for the star-studded Brazilian national team as a 19-year-old, sharing the pitch with the likes of Ronaldinho and Neymar. It wouldn't take long for top teams from Europe to start noticing him, with Real Madrid emerging as the best suitor. Ewan McTeer is a football journalist who's based in Madrid. Here's Ewan on how Real Madrid signed Casemiro in the first place and how he developed into a proper star at the Spanish Giants. Yeah, so Casemiro was one of the first uh, Brazilian players that Real Madrid brought in after they they made it a club mission to really start identifying targets from the the Brazil market. Uh, They realised at the club that they often wanted to sign these Brazilian players once they'd already proven themselves in Europe and they really made it a push around about that time to go and identify uh, Brazilian talents and they hired a lot of uh, scouts there that had uh, agreements with Real Madrid to find the best talents. Casemiro at Sao Paulo was one of these talents that they brought in early on, on loan with an option to buy. And he just blew them away at Real Madrid when he arrived. He started out in Castilla, which is the, the club's B team, and he embraced it immediately. He arrived, new country, new culture, everything, and he just embraced it. So much so that now, after he's left, he looks back on that time and he makes it a point of saying that he feels like a Real Madrid Academy graduate, even though he only played in the B team, only did so for a year or so. Uh, but Casemiro really appreciated that time to, like he says, learn the values of Real Madrid, uh, learn what it's like to to have that aim of making it to the first team. And he has said that in his farewell, but also other times, other interviews in recent years, that he really feels like a Real Madrid Academy graduate just based on that short time he had in the Castilla team. 
Hmm, that's interesting. That's interesting. So at first, uh, I think he didn't play a whole lot when Mourinho was still there, and then Ancelotti. He mm-hmm. was also uh, on loan at Porto for a season. So what, what what were those first years like for him when he started to play at a senior level? Yeah, so when he arrived, uh, Jose Mourinho was the manager of the first team. And even though Mourinho didn't give him many opportunities, that was normal. He was supposed to be with the B team. And actually, Mourinho was the one who gave him his debut uh, in a late season game 2012-13 against Real Betis. Um, And Casemiro still thanks Mourinho for giving him that opportunity. Mourinho, rather than Mourinho not give Casemiro many chances, Mourinho, you could actually look at it as he gave Casemiro his chance with the first team ahead of time. He wasn't supposed to uh, be debuting with the first team that early. And Mourinho, what he said to him before his debut against Real Betis, it was at the Bernabeu, it was at home. And before the game, Mourinho told Casemiro, I want you to do two things in this game. Number one, the first tackle, absolutely go into it. Go into it hard, (laughs) take the guy out, win the ball, and the crowd is going to love that. And number two, at some point in the game, play a 60-yard pass across the field to another winger because I know you can do it and the crowd will love that too. Casemiro did those two things in the game. Didn't uh, have many other chances later um, with Mourinho or it took a while for him to break into the first team. But that debut in 2013, that still sits with some Real Madrid fans who were there because um, they could immediately see he was a talent, partly because he did those two tasks that Mourinho told them to do. Because Mourinho, I think, is the kind of manager that also understands the emotion of crowds and and the sort of storylines and, and how to make a player feel settled. Uh, interesting, interesting. Uh, and the loan to Porto a little bit later, uh, how did that come about and what happened there? Yeah, so the loan to Porto was was the simple case of to get Casemiro more minutes. Um, they realised they had such a good team at Real Madrid. Remember, this is when Xavi Alonso was still there. Um, for him to get minutes in his ideal position just wasn't really going to happen. So um, this was why the loan to, to Porto came about. Uh, for him to get more minutes and, and it really set him up for when he came back. This was a 2014-15 season. He went on loan uh, to Porto. When he came back, he was ready to be a starter. At this point that he goes to Porto, remember, he's already won a Champions League. He's already contributed to the 2013-14 Champions League. Contributed is a an interesting term because he didn't play very many minutes, but you ask any player in that Real Madrid squad and they'll tell you that the 20 minutes Casemiro played, the final 20 minutes in the Dortmund second leg, uh, they were vital. Uh, Real Madrid won 3-0 the first leg at the Bernabeu. The second leg, they're losing 2-0 to Dortmund. And uh, Casemiro comes on and just absolutely sees out that game. So he'd already contributed a little bit to a Champions League win in 2013-14. Goes on loan to Porto to get playing time and comes back ready to be the Casemiro starter that we've seen for, uh, well, uh, until this summer. Yeah, So I think at first under Benitez, he didn't play every game. I think he really started to flourish under Zidane. Is that correct? And what was his development like? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think um, in the season he had, um, uh, when Benitez started the season, Benitez really changed a lot of things in that. It just didn't work. Casemiro was not the only player who struggled under Benitez, who was frozen out under Benitez. So um, when Zidane came in, Zidane really built um, the squad that became the one that won, of course, three in a row and the one that Ancelotti kept so similar um, when he came back. So 
yeah, Casemiro was one of the many players who, who didn't have much time under Benitez, but who Zidane absolutely understood the importance of Casemiro. And I think Zidane also understands it because he knows how important Makaleli was back in the day mm-hmm. um, in Zidane's team. You know, someone to just uh, do the dirty work, keep things tidying over. Not the Galactical player, but Zidane understood how important Makaleli was when he was there and how much things fell apart when Makalele was sold. So I think Zidane from the start understood that Casemiro could be that kind of player, even if, of course, there are a lot of differences between uh, uh, Makalele and Casemiro. Yeah, yeah, interesting. That's an uh, interesting uh, perspective. So, of course, uh, he's formed a midfield with Modric and Kroos for for a long time now, a legendary midfield. Uh, How would you rate that midfield compared to other legendary uh, midfield formations in the history of Real Madrid and maybe even in the history of football? It's rare that three players get to play so much together and and be so successful, right? Yeah, this is the this is the debate that we have right now in Spain. Is what was better, uh, Casemiro, Cruz, Modric, or Xavi and Iniesta, Busquets? And uh, I think uh, both of them equally successful. If you look at the numbers, trophies is very similar, different styles. Um, I think that's just a debate where some people will lean on one side, some people will lean on the other, but. For me personally, I think there's no doubt that this is the best midfield that Real Madrid's ever had. Uh, the best, the most efficient, um, successful, and and also just the best friends. <laughs> you see uh, from Casemiro leaving just how uh, how much these three players bonded. Different, really different stages of their careers. You know, um, you know, three or four years between each of them. They're not really the same age. There's no reason really why they should be friends. They all come from very different backgrounds, but they just clicked and they brought um, each of the three a little different something to that midfield that made it so um, impressive. So that's why maybe it's a little bit more of an interesting midfield than the the Barcelona Xavi Iniesta Busquets one where they're three very similar players from the academy, um, you know, uh, all Spanish. This is a very much more... Um, continental, exotic, unique midfield three and I don't think it can ever be repeated because those three players were so unique and, and they partnered and complemented each other so well and uh, and became, like I said, they became friends too. So much so that uh, when the rumours came out, Tony Cruz uh, texted Casemiro at 4am in the morning to, to ask him, is this true? Are you really going? And um, that just shows you how uh, how much Cruz and Modric are going to miss him. Yeah. So, how would you describe Casemiro's specific role in this midfield? Yeah, I would say he's the guy that does the dirty work, the mopping up. Um, he's he's the guy that would you know always be positioned well. And a lot of the work that Casemiro did was work that never actually came to anything. And by that I mean he's always positioned himself. He's always sprinting back to where the gap is even if the pass never comes in, even if he's cut out of danger before that pass is even made. So he just worked tirelessly to on the defensive side more than anything. And you see, when he wins the ball back, um, uh, his first option was to pass to Cruz or Modric and, and let them take the attack forward. And of course, Casemiro did get forward himself. He burst into the box, he could do all of that. But his primary role at Real Madrid was just to win the ball back and then sort of send the team on the attack. And that was going to be interesting, I think, it. And Manchester United to see him maybe add some other uh, facets to his game, maybe show more that uh, of what he's capable of. I'm sure there's things that he was capable of doing at Real Madrid that he never really had to because he had uh, two such great passers next to him. So yeah. um, at Real Madrid, he had a very unique role, and he just uh, he did it so well for uh, uh, for so many years. Yeah, and and he was still a regular starter, of course. So why do you mm-hmm. think he decided uh, he wanted 
a new challenge and uh, he accepted the offer from Manchester United and, and left Real Madrid. So the reason Casemiro was given is he he realized after the last Champions League final that he felt his cycle at Real Madrid was was coming to an end. Um, he felt that he had won everything he could there and he wanted a new challenge. And he said that he was always keen to, to try the Premier League. Uh, and I believe that. Some players, I think, say these things after they've completed the signing and they come up with reasons to justify it. I do believe that Casemiro has always wanted to try the Premier League because this is the kind of player who I think can thrive in the Premier League. So I do believe that sense of it. And I think for him, it was just about timing. Uh, he, uh, If he decided after the Champions League final, well, this was before they signed Chiuameni, but already I think he knew that Chiuameni was being signed. Kamavinga had already come in and I think he knows that his replacements were already there in the squad. Uh, I think he was confident enough in himself that he could have remained the starter for this season. But I think he knew he didn't have two, three, four, five years left at Real Madrid. They've already signed his replacements and the replacements are really good. Uh, so I think he realized why don't I exit stage right while I'm still on top and uh, rather than uh, spend the season slowly spending more time on the bench. I think that's why he decided now was the right time. Yeah. What do you expect from him at Manchester United? How do you think he will do? I think he'll be exactly the player that Manchester United fans fall in love with. I hope he keeps Mourinho's advice and in the first game goes and <laughs> wins a tackle really hard, plays a 60-yard uh, <laughs> pass. I hope he uh, does that kind of thing because the Old Trafford crowd will fall in love with that from the first moment. So I think he's going to be the player that will you know, give it, wear his heart on his sleeve, give everything and, and that the fans will love. Then at the same time, he's going to win the ball back and he's going to look up And he's not going to have Tony Cruz or Luka Modric right beside him. It's obviously a Manchester United side that's in transition, a Manchester United side that's had a difficult start to the season. So I think it's going to be difficult for Casemiro because he doesn't have the system that he had around him at Real Madrid. But I, I do also think that we will get to see some some qualities and strengths of Casemiro that we maybe didn't see so much at Real Madrid. Maybe his passing um, he showcases what he's capable of a bit more Um, so maybe it's a positive that he doesn't have Chris and Modric next to him because maybe he can uh, even up his game. Only 30, uh, just turned 30. Um, he's still you know, in his peak, I would say. I think he's got a lot still to prove before he uh, reaches a decline. That was Ewan McTeer on Casemiro. Give Ewan a follow on Twitter for more valuable insights into Spanish football. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Now, to get a deeper understanding of which role Casemiro can play at Manchester United, I also called Elko Born. Elko is a football journalist who specializes in both Dutch and English football. He's been featured in media like ESPN and the BBC. He knows a thing or two about Eric ten Hag's tactics. Here's Elko Born on the role Casemiro can play at his new club. Well, I think his ideal midfield, if we want a, a good view of that, we we will have to look back at his uh, Ajax team in 2019, of course, the team that got to the semi-final of the Champions League, I should remember. And in that midfield, it's 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 interesting to think about it. 
obviously the most important player in that midfield probably was Frankie de Jong. We wanted to sign at Manchester United uh, as well, together with Lasse Schöne and Donny van der Beek at number 10. So quite an attacking midfield when you think about it, because although Frankie de Jong is a normally, you know, a defensive midfielder, a six or an eight, you could still argue he's, you know, mainly uh, attack minded. Uh, and obviously a player like Donny van der Beek at number 10 is quite attack minded as well. So his ideal midfield in that regard, it doesn't it doesn't always feature um, feature a very defensive minded midfielder like Casemiro. On the other hand, you could argue that maybe Lachesona performed a similar role at Ajax, and it's important to understand as well now that he is the Manchester United manager, uh, who obviously played in the Premier League. He might have a little bit of a different idea about what he wants to his mid, uh, midfield to look like. His final seasons at Ajax, I think Edson Alvarez had more of a role that maybe Casemiro can have uh, at, at Manchester United. In the current squad, the current Manchester United squad, with midfielders like Eriksen, uh, Bruno Fernandes, Scott McTominay, and of course... Fred, how do you think Casemiro will fit in? What do you think his uh, ideal midfield in the current Manchester United squad will be? Well, yeah, I think Casemiro has a very important role to play. Uh, as you mentioned, I think last year, Alvarez at Ajax became more and more important. I think partly because Ten Hag realized at the time, okay, to compete in the Champions League, you're going to need an anchor in midfield, an anchor like, like Alvarez or Possibly at Manchester United, Casemiro, which not, might not be needed in the Dutch Eredivisie, uh, where a more attack-minded midfield could make a lot of sense. Ajax are usually so dominant in the Dutch Eredivisie. It, it's almost like you can you can basically field 11 attackers and score a lot of goals, and you'll probably win anyway as Ajax in the Eredivisie. This might sound like... Uh, I have a lot of confidence in Ajax, but it almost feels like like that sometimes for Ajax these days. But obviously in the Champions League, it was very different. And in the Premier League, it will be different as well. So I think I think in some ways, uh, having a player like Casemiro in midfield will actually allow Ten Hag to have the more attack-minded midfield that he probably wants. Hmm. You know, some people talk about a double pivot in midfield as a tactical concept so you basically have two more withdrawn two defensive more defensive minded midfielders as the double pivot in midfield with a more attacking number 10 uh, in front of them I don't think I don't think it makes a lot of sense to think of Ten Haas midfields that way but I do think that having one of this uh, this type of player, for example, Casemiro in midfield, will allow Ten Hag to put a more attack-minded uh, player right next to him. I think he would have wanted Frankie de Jong right next to Casemiro. I think that will make a lot of sense for Ten Hag, especially looking at the way he's been playing for the past couple of games. You could really see him putting uh, Christian Eriksen right next to uh, Casemiro in that double pivot in so-called defensive midfield. Now, usually, obviously, Eriksen is a more attack-minded midfielder as well, played as a number 10 uh, for a long time. But I think having a player like Casemiro allows Ten Hag to put, to put a player like Eriksen in that double pivot as well. So I think it, it does open up new opportunities to tinker with his midfield a little bit. 
That's interesting that you also mentioned that he would have liked to have Frankie de Jong next to Casemiro because, uh, of course, Manchester United tried to sign Frankie de Jong for the majority of the summer transfer window. In the end, uh, they didn't manage to. What, what do you make of that? You know, that first they were chasing Frankie de Jong and then they switched to Casemiro. What, do you think uh, he would have liked to have both? Or do you think they... Uh, made a switch in their tactical approach because of the start of the the horrible start of the season, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, it is interesting because, like you said, they seem like totally uh, different type of players, right? Yeah. Casemiro and Frankie de Jong. You would imagine that Casemiro is a lot more defensive minded, much more of a defensive midfielder rather than a deep line playmaker like Frankie de Jong, who's always thinking about progressing the ball, about going forward, about joining in attacks. But on the other hand, like I just argued as well, I think when you want a player like that in your midfield, especially in one of those two more defensive-minded positions in midfield, you're going to need a proper defender, defensive midfielder right next to him. I think that's why uh, he wanted Casemiro as well. And I think in an ideal world, he would have liked Casemiro with Frankie de Jong right next to him. I think that so far, he really likes Christian Eriksen in that position. So maybe Christian Eriksen, for now at least, is um, Ten Hag's makeshift de Jong, at least in midfield. And I think he also realized that, okay, if, if this is something I want to do for the rest of the season... I cannot expose Christian Eriksen in that position too much. He's not normally a six or an eight. I would say he's more of a natural number 10 Eriksen. And I think Den Haag realizes this as well. So I think having Casemiro in the team now as well, as well will allow Den Haag to give Eriksen that new role, really, for this season at least. At least. I mean, he's played in different positions before, obviously, in midfield Christian Eriksen. But let's be honest, this is not normally the Frankie the role, uh, Frankie the Young role, so to speak, is not normally his idea, his natural role. Now, that doesn't mean he can't do it. I think it's very interesting. I'm looking forward to see it, actually. But if you're going to try this for the rest of the season in the Premier League, I think it makes a lot of sense to put a player like Casemiro right next to Eriksen. Yeah. Someone we didn't mention yet is uh, Fred. Of course, Fred and Casemiro play together in the Brazilian uh, national team. Uh, there, was also, there are also people who say Casemiro, bringing in Casemiro will be able to unlock Fred, so to speak, to unlock his full potential. What do you make of that? Well, I think there's some truth in that as well, because I think a lot of the times at Manchester United in recent years, people have expected Fred to uh, play in a role that doesn't always come natural to him either as well. And I think the same is sometimes true for McTominay to some extent. Obviously, Fred can be put in that position in defensive midfield as well, but it's impossible to expect Fred to be that defensive-minded anchor right next to Ericsson that potentially Casemiro will become for Manchester United. And I think that was sometimes expected of Fred to play in that role. And I think he did a pretty admirable job at times for Manchester United. But it's unfair to expect of Fred to be that really defensive-minded anchor and ball-winning midfielder uh, in that position. 
although he did have to play that role at times. So I think that was that was sometimes unfair to expect it of him. I think he did a pretty good job overall in it for it in recent seasons. But hopefully now that they have a proper defensive midfielder, Manchester United, for the first time in years, really, when you think about it, that will allow Fred to come into his own a little bit more, perhaps. It's always fun to think of a what-if scenario, right? So obviously Paul Pogba has left Manchester United uh, last summer, but what if he was still there? And what if you could imagine a midfield featuring Paul Pogba, Casemiro, and Bruno Fernandes or Christian Eriksen as well in there? That would have been very interesting, I think, because, again... Similar to Fred, I think Pogba wasn't always used in a way that really allowed him to shine and let his natural abilities come to the fore at Manchester United. And I think having a player like Casemiro would have allowed Pogba to do better than he has done in recent years at Manchester United. So in a way, it's a shame that Manchester United are getting Casemiro now while Pogba is gone. I would have loved to see them uh, in the same midfield at Manchester United, and it's a shame that it's not going to happen. This was the story behind Casemiro. From his childhood in Brazil, to his transfer to Real Madrid, and from his legendary partnership with Luka Modric and Toni Kroos, to the role he will occupy at Manchester United. Follow this podcast in your favorite podcast app to never miss an episode. And if you want to support us, simply share our podcast. Or... Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That really helps us to get the word out. All right, my name is Sam Verhaalte. Thanks again for listening. And on to the next story in the home of football. Hi guys, Frank here. I just filmed the podcast with 433. I'm Ria Ferdinand. I'm Mario Götze. My name is Clarence Cedar. Hi, I'm Sunil Chetri. I just finished my podcast with 433. Yo, what's going on, people? It's your boy, Eddie Bauer, a.k.a. Mr. Beast Mode. I just finished the podcast with 433. Hi, 433 fans. It's Don Robbie in the building, right? And we are here for a great podcast. I want you to check it out. Hi, 433. I am Fabrizio Romano. Check out my story on the podcast. It was a great pleasure.